time of plague, dear Kyle. Ah, dearest Nicholas, it has been two weeks since my last letter. The the sun shines bright despite the ungodly nature of the endeavor that we find ourselves currently in. I know not when the spring thaw ended, nor when the winter snows will begin again, and yet my heart warms with the thought of summertime, despite the oncoming bloodshed. My thoughts are of you and the children. Though in gentler times, I would insist that we engage in in more small talk before we persist into the, the dark and dirty business of talking about this terrible television show. Uh, these are not gentle times, and we should just get into it, because this is the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. Hi, I'm Kyle. And today we watched Season 4, Episode 2, which was titled... The cruciferous vegetable amplification, uh, which is fine. Yeah, I mean, there are cruciferous vegetables. I guess there's some amplifying. Nah, nah, I don't know. Um, that means it's a jo- it's a fart. The fart is the amplification. I do think it's definitely a reference to farts, and the farts were near to my hearts because the truth is that I am never not farting. It's just how it goes. That that. Sheldon has one bout of intestinal disorder in this episode, and it, he thinks it's the end of his life. Uh, shows what a, a charmed life he has otherwise led compared to me and my my raging IBS. So, but we should we should actually get into the episode itself. Yeah. So did you mention that this is a show where we talk about the Big Bang Theory? Already, things I've forgotten. Yeah, and why do we talk about the Big Bang Theory, Kyle? Well, that part we've never figured out. But. No, we've not. Uh, this is... I can't remember numerically what episode we're on. It's like 65 or something like that. And sometimes I feel like we get close to hitting like a core purpose for this show. Like we pick an episode apart in such a way that we lay bare uh, a bigger issue either with the show or with like ourselves or nerd culture itself that it starts to feel like we're engaged in a meaningful endeavor. But nine out of ten times, we're just like, ah, they made another shitty joke. Here we are. Waka waka doo doo, yeah. Uh, We'll see how that works out today. (laughs) Um, So yeah, season four, episode two. We are back to abandoning uh, a B-plot, as far as I can remember. It's straight A all the way, baby. And the episode begins our cold open with uh, Sheldon at a marker board during breakfast time. Leonard wakes up to see him doing his work and asks what he's up to. Uh, And Sheldon explains that he is mapping out all of the different factors that could uh, affect or that are variables in calculating his own longevity. Because he wants to see uh, how far into the future he can make it. And he expresses disappointment that he thinks he's only going to make it to about 90 years old. When if he could only make it another 20 or 30 years beyond that, he would get to participate in the singularity. Which is something that I know very general, vague knowledge about from, from being a nerd just through osmosis. I have no real hard knowledge of the idea of the singularity. It's it's uh, all like third hand for me. Do you want to dive uh, in? Do you, you want to do this? We'll after, we'll finish the summary first. But buckle in, buddy boy. You're in for a ride. Okay, putting a pin in that baby. Uh, and so, the, but the I think Sheldon is in this episode anyway is dramatically oversimplifying it when he says, 
that's the point at which that we get to upload our consciousnesses into robot bodies or parts or whatever. Uh, and, and so that comes and goes, and you're like, oh, that's going to be about it for that. Jump to the actual main episode, the whole gang, uh, including Penny. Apparently everyone's on good terms again. They're all together eating pizza. I guess, you know, there there's a hint of a B-plot that never develops, and it's that... Um, the, the, uh, Leonard is asking for payments to the pizza that, that he, he bought everybody. Everyone starts pitching in, except for Penny, who's like, oh, right, I guess because we're not making out anymore, I actually have to pay my way. It's not, not just a given that you're going to take care of everything for me. And Leonard and Wallowitz spend the rest of the episode uh, razzing her about this on the side. Meanwhile, Sheldon is not paying either because he has decided that instead of uh, it being pizza night for him, it is now, as uh, uh, alluded to in the title, Cruciferous Vegetable Night, because he is working on steps to increase his longevity uh, to, to make it possible somehow, I guess, that he's going to be able to participate in the singularity. And so he's eating a gigantic bowl of Brussels sprouts, and he's talking about how he's going to go jogging. Wallowitz and Raj uh, both say, hey, you should go jogging with Penny. That would be a real hoot for everybody. Penny shoots daggers out of her eyes at them. Wallowitz, and this is, I couldn't tell if I was misreading this or not, Wallowitz appears to be selling out Raj, saying that Raj knows that Penny was jogging, because Raj follows Penny while she's jogging, using a pair of high-powered binoculars. What, what I thought maybe was really going on, and maybe I'm just reading into it too deeply, is that that is actually Wallowitz's doing, that he's the one peeping on Penny, but that Raj, because he's not able to speak in Penny's presence, is unable to defend himself and is just helplessly whispering into Wallowitz's ears while Wallowitz takes advantage of the situation. Um, that, again, was sort of, that was sort of the vibe I got, too. You think so? Okay. I, may, may, I feel like maybe it's an underdeveloped joke, but if we both got that, I feel a little bit better about it. Later that night, uh, Sheldon is knocking at Leonard's door while, while he's asleep in the middle of the night. And he, he's moaning in pain, and he's like, oh, God, Leonard, I have cholera. I have some other terrible illness. If it's not one of these other illnesses, I must have appendicitis. Oh, God, I'm dying. Everything is terrible. Take me to the hospital. Oh, God, I'm going to. And then he let, lets out a massive fart, and that's it. And that is one of these few moments where I relate to Sheldon hard, because like I said already, I'm never not farting. Cut to the next morning. Uh, Sheldon is all uh, geared up to go jogging. Uh, he's, he's wearing all sorts of different tools to track heartbeat, etc., etc., etc. Penny, her whole thing is she says she just jogs until she gets hungry and needs a bear claw. They start jogging down the stairs together. Sheldon immediately tumbles down the stairs on top of Penny and injures himself. I think it is implied that they may actually go jogging still. Like the fall is like, it's just a prat fall for a goof, but he actually gets through it. Regardless, the next day... The whole gang, Penny included, again, are back together in Leonard's apartment uh, having dinner. Sheldon is nowhere to be found. But uh, from Sheldon's room comes uh, a roving, very simple, not quite humanoid, but it's wearing one of Sheldon's shirts and it sort of has non-functional arms and a, and a computer monitor on top of it, you know, a robot that is displaying Sheldon's face. And Sheldon is saying that, you know... He is now going to experience the world through this uh, this avatar to, to keep himself safe from all of the dangers, again, to increase the likelihood that he's able to participate in the singularity should he increase his longevity sufficiently. Also, there is 
continued jokes here from Wallowitz and Raj about Penny being a worthless bum and taking advantage of Leonard all the time, which I had mixed feelings about this, because on the one hand, they're being a real jerk to Penny. On the other hand, they are accurately being a jerk to Penny. She doesn't really seem to experience any shame or remorse. She is very much taking advantage of Leonard. Earlier in the episode, when Leonard asks her how she's able to get by without ever having any money on her, she says, I'm cute, I get by. So she knows what she's doing. And that, that goes on for a little bit. There's there's more sassing of Penny. Penny makes one... The, the, the most interesting line in this entire episode, I thought, was in this scene, where uh, I think I think Sheldon scoots his robot out of the room, and then Penny very nonchalantly turns to Raj and Wallowitz and says, oh, oh right, okay, so, uh, it's, what happens is Leonard tallies up all the money that Penny owes him. It comes to about $1,400, Leonard and Sheldon both leave the room, and then Penny turns to the other two nerds and says, so which one of you weirdos is going to buy my panties for $1,400? And that is where I want the episode to go. It doesn't, but I think that is the better episode, is that negotiation and the business that she starts. Well, and also, because their facial expression, it's not like, oh, what a weird thing. I mean, it is. It's like, what a weird thing to say. But then they're obviously, they ponder. They're obviously thinking about it. They very obviously ponder. Okay, and then I start to get a little fuzzy here. This is where I might need your help. If I remember correctly, the next scene is Leonard driving Sheldon's avatar to work. Sheldon stays in his room, but his robot is in the passenger seat. And Sheldon does annoying Sheldon shit the whole way to the university. You know, it comes and it goes. They make it to the university. Uh, Sheldon's robot is roving down the hall alongside... Leonard and is greeting different staff and faculty whoever on the way to, to Sheldon's office but then when Sheldon gets to his own door he realizes that because he does not have functioning arms and because Leonard is sick of his nonsense and unwilling to help him uh, that he is helpless to make it into his office and he is at the other nerd's mercy. Wallowitz and Raj conveniently show up at about the same time. Uh, Raj opens the door for him. That solves that. That's it. And so and another uh, an instance for more potential fun conflict that I think goes unexploited. And I think one of the last scenes in the episode is it's the, the four nerds at the Cheesecake Factory being waited on by Penny. Penny is pretending not to know any of them because she doesn't want anyone to know in the, in the restaurant to know that she has any connection to the creeps that brought in the robot. And then, oh God, I hate this so much. One of them turns and looks at another table and sees that Steve Wozniak, one of the co-founders of Apple Computers, is eating there at the Cheesecake Factory. And Sheldon sends his little avatar over to uh, to, to chat up Wozniak, to say that Wozniak is his, what, his like 15th favorite visionary computer developer or something like that. And I did look it up. That is, in fact, Steve Wozniak making the real cameo for this episode. Oh, I'm sorry. You had any... It's not that I expected you to know who Steve Wozniak was, but you couldn't tell just from, like, his, his like, entire presence in the scene. Like, here's what I'm at. Do you think anyone is that good an actor as that guy was at being a dude who was just randomly inserted into an episode of the Big Bang Theory to say four lines when he didn't really, without any emotional affect whatsoever? Well, I mean, I, I, I do... I, so I, I, I did strongly suspect it was him, but at the same time, I thought, 
Steve Wozniak has to have better shit to do, right? Like, he just has to than to make this, like, bit part on a on a serialized comedy show. Like, I, I just feel like he's so wealthy that why would he debase himself to do this? But he did. He really did. Anyway, uh, his, Sheldon's avatar says to Wozniak that... Are we still in the summary of the episode? We're at the very end of it. Jesus. Uh, How this, long have we been here? Hey, you know what'll get us there faster is if you shut your face. I know you're really excited to go on and on and on about the singularity in a way that we're going to like for about 30 seconds and not like for about 7 minutes and 48 seconds, but we're almost done. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, Sheldon says that, oh my god, I have, I think, what, an old Apple IIe that I would love to have signed by you. And so real fit meat sack Sheldon breaks his quarantine to take his his chunky old computer and run it to the Cheesecake Factory for Wozniak to sign it. But he falls down the apartment building stairs and busts it. I think that's the end of the episode. There you go. We're, we're done now. Happy, happy. Tell me all about the singularity. Was there was there really no stinger to this episode? I'm not that I to... not that I can recall. But again, I I, I, I may have forgot stuff because I, I didn't immediately watch. No, it. you you had a freakish. I think I mean you not only described every single scene, you described it like shot for shot, essentially. This so. is these these are my powers. When my brain is full of art, uh, uh, electricity. <laughs> this is I, I got zapped again yesterday, so I'm 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 running on all cylinders. Ah, maybe there's something to that. Uh, they well, call I'm not. That... I'm not doing it for fun, Kyle. <laughs> no, uh, transcranial stimulate stimulation is, I think, the word for that. It's uh, also known as wireheading. It's it's not a it's not a real it's not like a super popular thing, but there is a small subsection of nerds on the internet who voluntarily run elect current electric current in probably smaller quantities than you've been getting through their brains because they're convinced it makes them smarter. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? This I'm I'm we're, be, we're gonna we've been beating around the bush for a couple weeks now. I just want to bring this up. I'm not gonna have a big sappy bleeding heart moment about what we're referring to, but I will say this: Kyle and I have had a very consistent run of this episode. I've been very proud of our constant output. About a month ago, we finally missed our first ever episode, and it is because part of the reason that I have moved back to Montana from LA is I became massively depressed. And I don't know how obvious that was in listening to the episodes, but as dealing with severe depression, I uh, had to go to the hospital, get some treatment, and that treatment includes running uh, electricity through my friggin' brain to help me, me cheer up. And so now I'm telling people that I run on 500 gigawatts of optimism. Um, so whenever we make cute little side... Uh, references to me getting juiced. That's that's what it's about. There, one. We're done. Moving on. Singularity time. All right. So the singularity. I don't remember who proposed the term, but basically the idea goes: computers have been getting exponentially smarter for the. Well, exponent smarter is a sub, is the is a subjective term. Well, isn't it Pro that they continue to develop at an exponential rate? Like that. Their processing power is exponentially developing. Yeah, yeah. And so the idea of the, a singularity in, I think, mathematics is just a point where your mathematical models break down. Like the, another, the other obvious place where you have singularities is like at the edges of black holes. 
because the gravity is so is so intense and the mathematical forces that we think maybe we know uh, what goes on in a black hole, but we really don't have much of a clue. So it's like whatever our normal models of how the universe works are inside a sing- inside the singularity of the black hole, it's like we don't fucking know. There's no way to know unless you were actually there. So similarly, the idea of the singularity in popular nerd culture is that eventually the computers get so advanced that they are able to surpass human intelligence and begin making their own... Basically, when computers gain the ability to make themselves smarter as opposed to humans having to do the labor... And they outpace our understanding of how they develop, essentially. They outpace our understanding of how they develop, and then essentially all bets are off. But and in and so this is both how you get the Matrix or the Terminators, but also in the more optimistic version, you get like cyberspace miracle utopias. And so yeah, so the all of uh, all of the popular transhumanist crap, like we're all going to be part of a. Uh, like, basically, one of the big ones is that maybe we will be able to run a proper simulation of all humankind that includes, like, models of all currently existing human brains. So you would, you know, even if you if you live, certainly. But see, this is how we know Sheldon, or rather the people who write this show, are only somewhat familiar with the singularity. Because, uh, yeah, because sure. They reduced it down just to the idea of consciousness being put into mechanical bodies right which if Sheldon, isn't if, even really the same thing at all right like that's such a gross oversimplification well yeah and if if sheldon was really really into the into those spooky transhuman i mean this stuff it starts to get like magic then he would know that he doesn't actually have to live he just has to exist and have enough data about him that a sufficiently advanced ai computer could model everything he did and because souls aren't real then what would be the difference between a perfectly accurate of si- uh, a simulation of Sheldon existing inside the god brain of an of a super AI and Sheldon himself? There is no difference. In fact, this is where. So, are you ready for some crazy shit? I haven't even gotten into the crazy shit. I won't. I won't spend too much time on this. I am but... strapped in, companion. Okay. So there's an I, and I should warn you, if any people out there. The concept that I'm about to invoke is sort of like The Ring or that one movie I can't remember that was based off The Ring where if you actually believe any of this, then it is possible that me telling you about it will condemn you to everlasting cyber hell forever. I'm not joking. If that's something you're even remotely worried about is going to cyber hell, you should turn off the podcast right now. So there is an idea that if we ever actually make a super intelligent AI and there are a lot of clauses that I'm going to skip in this in this mental model but that basically it might be pissed off at us for say taking so long to develop it or whatever that it decides it's going to basically punish all humankind for not creating it sooner by you know basically resurrecting all of our souls in cyberspace and punishing us for eternity and so the only people it would punish because it's presumably rationally coming to this decision are the people who know that who know that they could have worked towards its existence but didn't. So the idea this is called Roko's Basilisk and the idea is basically it once you know that there is a possibility that AI can exist if you don't spend every waking moment devoting yourself to the AI existing then when the singularity happens you're going to hell. Cyber hell. What if Say you're someone like me who is loosely aware 
that such a thing is possible, at least in the realms of sci-fi. But you don't have the confidence in yourself to get a computer science degree. What what good, oh, am, I, what good am I to the robo gods? Oh, don't worry. There's a there's a cyber Joel Epstein clause in all of this, which just says you can also just give all of your money to uh, to Roko's to the AI community. Do you mean Joel Osteen, or is there a separate? I don't know who Joel Epstein is. I think I confused. I think Joel Epstein is the evil is the evil fusion of Joel Osteen and Jeremy Epstein, the worst human being on the planet. Who knows how different they really are? That, that's Wallowitz's future. That's what he has to look forward to. No, well, thank God he's not that rich. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Steve Wozniak, um, whoa! <laughs> only because he's rich. No, I assumed he was on this episode just be either he's a fan of the show or maybe there was also a lady sitting with him Mm -hmm. in the show. And she was also just sort of randomly like she was smiling like a person who was delighted to be there. So my my guess was that that was either Steve Wozniak's wife or girlfriend or something. Yeah, IRL partner. Right. And so maybe either he's a big fan of the Big Bang Theory or she is or they both are. But it was just so obvious that she, at least, that this was such a treat for her to be on TV on the show. So good for them, I guess. But which is more grim? That Steve Wozniak, however wealthy he may be, wealthy he may be, is nonetheless subject to the persuasions of whatever amount of money this show could offer him for a cameo appearance, or that he is such a fan of the show that he was open to or insisted upon being a guest on it. I mean, it's definitely the second one is is slightly more disturbed. I mean, the second one is more likely and is what I'm assuming. It's probably more depressing as well. But also, hey, now that I think about it, maybe it's not. Maybe it's all, you know, maybe they called him and says, we're doing an episode on the singularity. And he thought about how if he didn't do everything in his power to raise awareness <gasps> about the concept of the singularity, he was going straight into cyber hell. I think you know, you've when the AI it. comes. Oh, the Waz. So he's just... He's doing everything he can to save his immortal soul. I mean, he does look a little bit like someone who's being held hostage and trying to blink a pattern in that... <laughs> I bet he's looked that way for a long time. I bet being around Steve Jobs, you, you, you do suddenly take an interest in learning Morse code. <laughs> Uh, I, I watched a, a mini essay slash like documentary on uh, uh, John McAfee the other day. Do you know much about him? The guy of speaking McAfee. Another, you mean another incredibly rich, incredibly crazy, possibly murder people guy? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, he was into a lot of wacky stuff. A lot, a lot of wacky stuff, you know? But what I took away from that is that he loves having ladies poop in his mouth. Nothing else stands up to that. That's that's oh, the number one fact oh, I, for me. You know what? I'm so glad that I don't know what he looks like so that I can't physically imagine what you're talking about. I am so grateful. Uh. Well, Kyle, you know, we've gone through our our uh, summary, obviously. you've You've given us the... Glancing walkthrough of the singularity. What else do we want to get into? I'm going to be honest with you. I did not latch onto a lot in this episode. Like, 
it, this felt like a very by the numbers come and go functional episode to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mostly like I was entirely like, you know, this isn't bad. <laughs> like that was literally I mean, we've we've talked about this before, but I I was watching it, I was like, I can see how people find this amusing. It's yeah. like he's got a robot body. I will okay, so I'll I don't want to uh I don't want to get uh too far into it, but in the scene that you were talking about where uh Sheldon tells Penny that she's in his spot, mm-hmm. um she scoots over, which makes Wallowitz scoot over, which makes Raj just randomly decides, okay, I'm gonna sit on the floor now. Now I didn't I put a lot You did notice I or did you did not, not notice that. No, he sits on the floor, and he's still on the floor in the next shot. And the reason why is actually it sort of makes sense out of universe, but there is no rational explanation in universe. The reason why Raj has to sit on the floor is because they have removed a chair from the scene. And the reason they removed the chair where Penny normally sits from the scene is so that the stupid robot has a clear line path Mm. straight up to... To the couch? To the couch. Because they were whoever's job it was to like remote control that thing was probably like, yeah, I can't steer it around the fucking chair. It's not going to look graceful. So yeah. they were just like, well, we'll take a chair out. But the end result of that is someone ends up sitting on the floor. And I like to think that it's just happened that Raj, since he always sits furthest to the left on the couch, that that's all it was. But also, no one thought, you know, maybe we shouldn't make the maybe we shouldn't in this quick shuffling around just like have the Indian guy just sitting randomly on the floor beneath the other characters like a dog. Yeah, that never. Cro- I mean, I didn't see it. But even after hearing it, that wouldn't have crossed my mind. I think I think you're looking for darkness now. Like you're no, you're inserting not... the darkness. I'm I'm sure what well, it's just it's one of they could have put another chair. If they were willing to break the continuity enough that they were willing to move the chair, why couldn't they just have another chair? I guess so. Why couldn't Raj stand up, grab a chair, put it next to him? Why did he have to sit on the floor? That is a good question. I get well, because at some point, maybe they really want to emphasize the extent to which Sheldon gives no shit about inconveniencing everyone around him for his new robot body. Uh, but that's probably not it. I think it's a good question. Kyle, it's a good question. Yeah, it's not a great question. It's just... Well, I didn't I, say I, that. I realized I put too much... <laughs> I realized I put too much thought into it, but it's something I was, I was, as I was watching the episode, I was like, he's really just going to sit on the floor, huh? All right. I'll just reiterate how badly I want this episode to focus on Penny starting the panty selling business uh, and how she could hold power over the other nerds by charging uh, extortion rates you know, like maybe maybe they get the first whiff for free, you know, and then she keeps jacking the price up and up and up and up, and then she gets all the power over the nerds, and then she has her own little, uh, not concubine, but um, I don't know, you know, her 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 just, her just group of nerdy slaves. They're not good for much, but they're hers. You know, that's something. I want I want that plot line, but uh, if if I think. I, I didn't realize we, we probably are pretty close to getting ready to to lean into our, our nerd recommendations, but please feel free to to bring up any other points you, you want to before we cut to that. I mean I feel like Sheldon is is basically I don't think he's wrong that if he wants to 
if he wants to live longer, his best option is to barricade himself in a bunker somewhere and do everything remotely. Mm-hmm. I guess, I mean, I kept thinking about the weird, the one thing you haven't mentioned is the how weird it is to be watching this episode right now in our current in our current environment, because basically everybody's what looking at Sheldon. What environment is like, that, Kyle? The one where none of us are leaving our houses and we're all talking to each other through computer screens. I just wanted you to say it, that's all. For, for future reference, I wanted the, the context to be clear. But but you were saying, sorry. Yes, for for the aliens who find our burnt and broken world, we are currently in the middle of a coronavirus outbreak. It is bad. But uh, where was I going with this? Anyway, and also I thought in that context, Steve Wozniak, I think, has not like it's not a funny line, but I actually think it's a it's it's a very on point line, both for him as a human being and for like the show in this moment, which he's just like, hey, cool robot body. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I was I liked that they had the robot body. I figured that's probably one of the things that most of their the the, the highest uh, amount of their budget has probably gone to in this entire show so far. I don't like that the robot body was in itself the joke, that they didn't do a whole lot of jokes with the robot body, but it was neat. I won't say it wasn't neat. Yeah, I think the best joke was probably him. Uh, oh, that's the stinger. The stinger to the episode is is he makes Penny sing Soft Kitty to him. Yes. Okay, while that's, he that's plays, true. While he plays the... The, the recorder. L- the recorder. Okay. Um, Glad we cleared that up. <laughs> yeah. We have to stop now because we actually remembered all of the episodes. So there's literally no point to talking about it anymore. All right. We're done. We're done. Let us move on to our nerd recommendation for the week. Kyle, uh, do you want to start or shall I? I'll start. Um, okay. I am going to take a – it's a – I mean, it is a recommendation, but it's also just a, a retrospective on one of the most influential video games uh, oh. of all time that I finally beat the other day because I was. It's now out on Switch, which is Bioshock. Oh, <laughs> that's that's an interesting O. So Bioshock is a game is a f- set in with a first person point of view where you play a man who stumbles across an underwater city that was created by crazy libertarian slash objectivist billionaire who's very obviously a a parody like cross between like Ayn Rand and Walt Disney Mm -hmm. um, and who has erected an underwater city. But sometime before you arrive on the scene, uh, lack of (laughs) lack of regulation and ethics in science has caused everybody to spiral out into crazy mutated whacked out monsters and 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 start murdering each other so you slowly wind your way through the city uncovering the mysteries of its demise and learning shocking secrets about your own connections to the city with some pretty great uh with some pretty great gameplay and incredible uh storytelling and um yeah all around it's a great ride and it's great on the switch with headphones in it's just a very immersive like hypnotic experience that being said it is it it's such a weird game even now uh when so many other games have sort of been inspired by it and based on it i remember the first time i tried to play bioshock when it first came out i 
it literally kind of broke me. I was not able to do it because I just had no frame of reference for the type of game it was. Like, I think it's, uh, without getting into the whole history of, of the franchise, it's essentially like a a spiritual, a not even spiritual sequel. It was literally, it uses a bunch of the same mechanics and themes and storytelling techniques as this other older computer game. And, you know, so if you grew up playing, like, System Shock on the computer or Half-Life 2 or any of those, then probably Bioshock was, like, a very, like, um, seamless transition, even though it was for console. Uh, in fact, it's funny because I was watching a retro review of it from one of my favorite game reviewers, and basically his whole complaint was that the game is too easy, which is just mm. baffling to me because... I mean, again, I sort of get it, but it was just when I first played it, like my entire experience with like the FPF concept went from like GoldenEye to Doom 64 to uh, Halo and Halo 2. And so if that was your exposure to like first person shooty action games, there is absolutely nothing that will prepare you for playing Bioshock. Like the... The entire, like, semi-RPG structure of it with the weird upgrades, the way in which you have, like, mutant powers that interact with the environment, the crazy upgrade system, and just the fact that the maps are kept deliberately, like, ridiculously non-linear. So that if you just go from objective to objective, you can beat the game a lot faster, although it will be much harder because you will be missing, like, 90% of the stuff that you need to make your character capable of surviving, but also you will just have no idea what the fuck's going on ever because you will have like missed 80% of the story, which is all stuff that I respect about it now, but it was just, it's just crazy to me playing it, remembering how hard it was just to like, not any, just to grasp like its whole existence. Like I, the, my entire, and to be honest, I was sort of going through that same thing. I'll shut up about the game after this, but like, it is such a weird game. I spend, like, and it's not very long by the standards of modern video games, so I spent, like, 90% of it just trying to wrap my head around the idea of, no, this game is really set in an underwater objectivist dystopia with with mutants and water turrets and giant robot golems in, in diver suits that are protecting little mutant girls who you harvest for energy. Um, it's like you spend, I spent so much time coming to terms with that. And about the time I did, uh, the game was over, which I think is sort of, it's obviously a game that's intended to be played again and again until you sort of like, you know, know the, like, it's a great, an incredibly great architecture and level design. And just the world feels so alive, even though there's no other sane characters in it. So it's obviously designed to be played until you know, like, the location of every turret and camera and and bad guy and trap, like, the back of your head. Mm-hmm. Um, but, or the back of your hand. You don't know what the back of your head looks like that much. Um, but, like, the game is also so incredibly oppressive and stressful and just, like, emotionally draining as you, like, wade through it and get attacked by all these screaming monsters and, you know, come to terms with all of this stuff about the failures of capitalist society. But by the time you're done, I can't imagine anyone finishing that game and immediately being like, all right, let's turn up the difficulty level one tick and immediately play through it from the beginning. Just crazy to me to think that there are people who would do that. Um, But all in all, really holds up. Highly recommended. All right. Uh, Is that the only Bioshock game you played? 
so I, I mean, I was basically cutting my recommend. I, I, Bioshock Infinite was the first one I was able to beat because it uh. is again. In in continuing the theme, it is true. Bioshock Infinite is to Bioshock what Bioshock probably is to System Shock Two, which is to say, it's like the the easier younger brother. So I really enjoyed Bioshock Infinite a lot, but I never beat like the expansions that tie the whole franchise together. So the collection that you can get on the Switch is all three Bioshocks and all their DLC. So I'm currently playing through Bioshock Two, which boy do I have some opinions about. But I was just going to not drag us down into those right now perfect all right yeah i skipped two and went straight to infinite i um i didn't really like infinite that much but i think the original holds up so i'm going to be a lot quicker about my recommendation um i'm i'm double dipping because i guested on my friend charlie's podcast uh that they do with their friend solvay called the final girl sleepover where they've been watching a different horror movie from every decade and last week or two weeks ago was the 70s and we watched uh Werner Herzog's uh Nosferatu the Vampire ah shit I hear that's really good I loved it I thought it was fantastic and I'm not going to talk about it much not because there's much to spoil or anything like that and I'm afraid of spoilers that's not really an issue it's kind of the opposite where um it is essentially an incredibly bare-bones, straightforward Dracula story. It just happens to be like so well done that uh, I found it incredibly compelling. And I feel like uh, that what a lot of... I was going to say, like, you know, tellings of Dracula do, but like horror movies generally, is they try to insert so much, I'll call it... Um, artificial mood you know you have scary shadows uh cast over every scene you've got um intimidating sound effects coming from from out of nowhere you've got oppressive music you know all the all these things that come in to establish mood and, and i feel like th this version strips all of that away and you're just in i i said this before and it uh, and it sounds like a slight, but I, I swear it's not. It, it is like a very much by-the-numbers Dracula movie, but by, by pulling out all of that unnecessary window trimming, window dressing, I, I think it improves it so much more. It's great. Love it. And well, I... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I assume you you talked about this on the show. It's It's... Essentially, it's obviously it's a remake of Dracula, but even more specifically, it's an aesthetic remake of the first Dracula movie, which was also called Nosferatu. Uh, so we we talked about it a little bit. I am not personally familiar with that uh, earlier Nosferatu film. It did come up when we were recording the other podcast, though. Yes, I to many people that it, I think it's basically everything that you said, which is that it's a very um, it's a very straightforward. Well, because it's in black and white and has no sound. So it's a very, very moody but straightforward version of the Dracula story. And to many people, that's like the unmatched like classic version to this day. So it's nice to hear that Werner Herzog's version sort of uh, keeps in the spirit of that. No, uh, no sexy Dracula like you get with the uh, Francis Ford Coppola version. Yeah, no, none of that. Um, 
nor is he absurdly grotesque. Like, he is... He's not pretty at all. He doesn't look human, I don't think. And something I, I did kind of think was funny about the movie is that Dracula, rather than overpowering people, either with, like, his his abilities to, like, mentally manipulate or just, like, or, like, literally physically overpower somebody. Oh, who is it that, that uh, first comes to visit the, the castle? Jonathan... Uh, something or other. Jonathan, we're going to stick with for now. But uh, he seems... Harker. More... Jonathan Harker. Yes. Uh, he seems more than anything to take advantage of the extent of his politeness. Because, like, were I to walk into this, like, largely barren, abandoned castle, and the first thing I see is, like, a seven-foot pasty guy with a bulbous head and eight-inch-long fingernails, I'd be like, oops, well, I've got dinner plans. Sorry, gotta go. And instead, they, 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 like, just keep dealing with each other's company. And as things get increasingly weird, and, and Jonathan Harker... Uh, and maybe he is being manipulated. You know, maybe that's a more subtle part of it. But, you know, as he doesn't protest, as, as he doesn't, like, get upset and insist on, like, getting out of there, that seems to be what, what Dracula is more than anything taking advantage of. Yeah, um, his English politeness. Yes, yes. Except, oh, they're not... I feel like they were, like, German or, like... Oh, well, yeah, in this version, uh, I guess they're all, like, German because that was... Because it's a remake of a German... The, the whole point of the original Nosferatu was they couldn't get the rights to Dracula, so they made the movie, but they just made everyone German and changed everyone's name, which is why he's called Count Orloff and not Count Dracula. Uh, good to know, good to know. But, yes, that is my recommendation. Werner See, why don't you ever let me on your fucking movie podcast, you Charlie... Yes. I'm will, not. How dare you, Charlie? I'll I'm call calling you out. out. I'll call them out. I'm I'm confident they don't listen to this. So your <laughs> your breath is wasted. But I'll bring it up. Well, let's wrap up. This was fun. We had a good time. There were robots. A lot of robot stuff. Some vampire stuff. Some uh, some big daddies. Nick, I've ha- I've had a an earth shaking revelation, which I'm not. I don't think we can. Uh, I don't think we can. Uh, we don't have time to talk about now. We've used up our space, but we have got to tabling for the first time. I know the only thing I want to talk about next episode. Okay. I will. So we'll end it there with this, this huge cliffhanger. Well, no, let me, let me tease it, tease it, tease it, tease it. So I was searching for append big bang theory, appendicitis and believe mm-hmm. it or not. The first thing that came up was big bang theory, appendicitis fan fiction so I clicked the button and god help me there is a fanfiction.net first off it never occurred to me that there's Big Bang Theory fan fiction there's not only Big Bang Theory fan fiction there's an entire Big Bang Theory fan fiction story about Sheldon having appendicitis it's called The Vestigial Organ Recall